welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Thank you, big boys in the sky. It is, uh, it, it's, it's time to dig into the games. We promised some in-depth looks at some of the biggest games of week one, and that's exactly what we're going to have. we got Steve Lorenz for Michigan. We've got Thomas Goldcamp for Florida. Barton Simmons. Barton, you, you went, you're the plug, man. You went and got the, uh, you got the minds. You brought them together. So my thank you to you for, uh, for reaching into the 24-7 sports uh, bullpen and calling out the aces. The fantasy talk is over. We no longer have to just talk in, in uh, you know, in, in these fantasy worlds where the games are going to happen someday, and uh, you know, predictions and previews. This is now we get to talk about what's actually coming and actually happening. So yeah, we get a little preview talk mixed, today. Mixed reviews on the uh, the fantasy <laughs> trade. So I love the fantasy trade podcast. I. I would do that again today, but I get <laughs> that that is time to start digging into the real meat of the season. Yeah, it's it's time to. But listen, man, we were hitting you with strengths and weaknesses. That was creative ways to analyze these teams. That's right. Come That's on, right. y'all. Um, speaking of uh, some of the personnel changes, we've got a couple of starting quarterbacks being named. This is this is that time where it's interesting that. Uh, the, the naming of the starting quarterbacks kind of seems like handing out the rose and the bachelor. Like all, all of a sudden, it's just uh, a waterfall of uh, news coming out, starting with Miami. Um, Malik Rozier ends up getting the starting nod. Uh, big surprise here for me is, and we'll be getting into the, the Florida competition later with Thomas Goldcamp, but this was another one where the starter didn't blow me blow my mind as much as finding out uh, that Brian Sheriffs is actually the number two here with talented dual threat quarterback, true freshman Nikosi Perry, uh, actually going to be running third along with Cade Weldon right now. You know, I, d- didn't you even throw out the the guess that Rozier starts, and then maybe at some point, you know, midway through Florida State game or after the Florida State game, uh, the true freshman Nikosi Perry might get a crack at it. That's that's my theory. That's my working theory. And and you've you've thrown me for a loop a little bit with that uh, with that revelation. I, I didn't realize that that Nikosi was running thirds. Um, Evan, Evan sheriffs, just, by the way, that's Evan sheriffs. I, I you know I wonder if it's. I want. I just still wonder if there's a little bit of um, limiting expectations for Nikosi, so that anything we get out of him is a is a positive and is, is great energy. But I, I I am not at all surprised that that Rozier is the starter. In fact, I would have been a little surprised if he wasn't. Um, but I again, I would I would still be surprised if Nikosi isn't playing quarterback for Miami by mid-season um, unless they're undefeated or something and you know then then all of a sudden of course you're going to stick with your with your guy but I still think they're going to want to find a way to get this guy in the game yeah I'm, I'm not ruling out even in early in the season uh, some Nikosi Perry specialized packages uh, to be able to work in there I, I just think that uh, number one um, 
one thing that Mark Richt has been really concerned about, they don't have uh, a lot of the big bodies, like tight ends, fullbacks. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's been a whole lot of confidence in Miami's ability to convert in the short yardage situations. Now they, you know, they they're going up against an awfully stout defensive front on the other side when they're just hitting against each other. But you I mean you've got Florida State on that schedule, you've got the rest of the ACC Coastal on that schedule. Uh, I think that you know to be able to to cr- have the running quarterback. Uh, option as a way to change the math on what you're concerned about that might be somewhere where they look and then uh from you know scrimmage stats or scrimmage stats but uh Nikosi Perry's accuracy hadn't exactly been there so I can I can understand why you don't want to throw him into the fire just yet uh, particularly as the full-time starter I just I'm uh, I this this feels like it's going to be a story that's uh that's going to continue to evolve as we go okay so Nikosi Perry May or may not see the field, but at Pitt, Max Brown, uh, I think I think we probably agree that we both expected Max Brown to win the job, and that would be pretty devastating to the old to the old veteran if uh, if he didn't have the job by the end of the year as well. Um, I know Ben Denucci, I think was who was was he was battling with over there at Pitt. Um, you know that's. That's why he, he made the transfer. That's why they went out and, and got him from USC. And I still think that Max Brown, I mean, he did. I mean, I, there was rumors in, in USC's preseason practice last year that Sam Darnold was looking better and that he should have won the job before he, you know, before their first game. There was that, there was that was out there. Uh, so I'm not going to say that, like, he's, that that's a huge referendum on him that he won that job i think there was a lot of loyalty that allowed him to win that job from from clay helton but the the fact remains this is a guy that played behind nfl quarterbacks his whole career at usc this is a guy that was a five-star quarterback and this is a guy that ended up getting replaced by a future first-round nfl draft pick quarterback he could be really good at Pitt. i i'm fascinated to see if he is but I'm rooting for the kid because there's you've, you've never heard a, I've never heard a bad word about him. He's a hard worker. He's talented, and he has paid his dues. And so I'm I'm rooting for Max Brown to have a big year at Pitt. Uh, the new obviously Matt Canada ends up at LSU. Sean Watson goes to Pitt. Sean Watson has had in recent years uh, the highs of the work that he did with Teddy Bridgewater at Louisville. And then uh, I guess what would be considered the lows in terms of, you know, outside perception and grading uh, his offenses, uh, the groups that struggled a little bit at Texas in those first years under Charlie Strong and all, all the shifting of offensive coordinators and titles that ended up with a lawsuit was certainly confusing. But he is the guy, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Pittsburgh. Um, man, I – it is tough for me. I'm I'm looking at this Pittsburgh team, and I'm I'm a little bit. I would say that that is a, a group that I've become less uh, less confident in as time has gone on. And and we talked, we laughed about the Kansas State thing. That's another one where you you talk to me uh, at one point. I probably thought they could have been finished like second in their division, and now I, I think defensively there's some questions. Uh, you know, Quadriolison's a talented dude, but I don't know if 
the the word out of pit camp says that he's ready to be uh, a superstar running back. Jordan Whitehead gets suspended three games. Rory Blair gets booted. Uh, I would say that that's this is this is a big moment for Max Brown because if he can put the team on his back, it sounds like Pitt could really use it. Chip, our boy Dennis Dodd picked Pitt to win the ACC Coastal, so we may need to get Dodd on here to defend that stance at some point here or to to gloat if they win the coastal man i'm going to uh, i'm going to buy dada uh, a couple shots or something that's a that's a gutsy pick but uh hey you know he's rolling the dice on uh, on max brown i guess all right um and we just mentioned matt canada matt canada lsu danny etling named the starter shay dixon certainly gave us uh some positive vibes about danny etling and the chance for uh, him healthy ready to go out there and be the ball distributor that they need. Um, you know, this, no surprises here, right? Yeah, and but I, I will say it's it's been interesting to, to watch the progression of Miles Brennan. Every scrim, scrimmage, he's gotten more and more reps. He's become the clear number two. I think they may want to play their other true freshman, Lowell Narcisse, and some run situations. He's the athletic quarterback that doesn't quite have the throwing ability, but he's going to be maybe a situational player. And Miles Brennan, I, I really think he's another one that's positioned himself to give LSU the option of if things go south with Etling during the year after Brennan's had time to prepare as a number two, I think he's one that could play. And so I think LSU fans should hope he doesn't and that Etling is the answer. But, uh, you know, I think that they've they've sort of given themselves an out to go to Brennan mid-year as well so that could be a similar Nikosi Perry situation so um you may see three quarterbacks at LSU that that would not shock me and uh Kyle Bolin at Rutgers gotta give Rutgers a little shout out (laughs) yeah the former uh Louisville I guess the Louisville grad transfer yeah uh is uh is gonna get on the field at Rutgers that's one I'm not I'm not ready to start like you know shouting Rutgers from the rooftops just yet but they, you know, they're going to play a lot of freshmen this year. They're going to take their lumps this year, but um, I think they're going to be a lot more competitive than they were last year, and and maybe put them in a position to, uh, you know, to to to, to build for 2018, and maybe have a, a you know that that turnaround season in 2018. All right, um, it's time it's time to get into some game breakdowns. Are you ready to break it down? Let's do it. I'm gonna make you break it down. We're getting into specifics. Specifics. Game breakdown. If they played on a neutral field, game break you would down. take them. Breaking down the game. <laughs> God, that's so awesome. <laughs> First breakdown. So awesome. First breakdown is going to be Michigan and Florida. So let's turn to Steve Lorenz from 24 7 Sports. And now it's our pleasure to welcome to the podcast as we continue to dive into the deep and capable stable of 24-7 sports minds, our boots on the ground at training camps and campuses and practices all across the country. We're going to go to Ann Arbor. We're going to go to the University of Michigan where Steve Lorenz of Michigan's 24-7 site is with us. Steve, thank you so much for joining the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Thanks a lot, Chip. Appreciate it. I think that uh, I think that I want to start right here. Uh, we, you know, the the NJ.com trying to get foying to get a roster only brought to mind for me the idea that uh, to 
to get tidbits from uh, the Mich- this Michigan team during training camp up until uh, it comes out. You know, Jim Harbaugh, of course, famous for not releasing a depth chart. Uh, I got to commend you because uh, for your VIP subscribers, you're able to offer a lot of insight on potential depth chart. Uh, is it what is the challenge like for you, and how is it compared to other things professionally? Having to work all your sources to get these to get these personnel moves from a coach and a coaching staff that seems to love the secrecy. Uh, it's it's really difficult. I think the biggest thing that's difficult to find out is you know a lot of our reports that we even get are they're all like have sort of a positive tone to them. You know we don't get to sit in practice for ever, I mean, at all, uh, let alone five minutes uh, to really maybe even start to not criticize, but maybe, you know, critique and see, you know, maybe where the holes and the flaws are in this team. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, Getting some semblance of info is not necessarily that difficult. Uh, But again, I know our subscribers are always wondering, you know, it sounds like everyone's doing great, you know, and that's because that's kind of the way that it's uh, always delivered to us, you know, is uh, it's never, you know, this guy's struggling. Uh, this guy's not really uh, showing his, his medal so far. So that to me, that's the biggest difficulty, uh, you know, sifting through, I know Michigan, you know, a lot of turnover, a lot of new faces this year. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, outside of a couple position battles, I think the uh, things have really kind of been set. Uh, it's more about maybe figuring out who the, who's in the two deep. Uh, and then you look at cornerback, right tackle, uh, kind of been the main focus for us in trying to decipher, uh, you know, who's going to be out in the field against Florida. Well, as we start to look ahead to the to that Florida game, let's jump right there. From what you can gather, uh, where would you give the critique? Where would you think that this Michigan team, um, you know, where are the question marks, where are the potential weak spots? What are you concerned about uh, going into the the Florida game in particular? Yeah, I'd probably go. Yeah, I'd go with the the cornerback spot and and right tackle. Uh, you know, starting with the cornerback thing. Uh, Callaway not playing is such a great uh, thing for Michigan. I think if there was one player you could have removed from Florida's roster that would have helped Michigan the most, it'd be him. Just because I think the cornerbacks are still trying to find their way in fall camp. Uh, you know, we've heard continually good things about David Long, and then Mike Zordich comes in. Uh, and mentions Lavert Hill as the guy that's been standing out a lot. And we had heard, you know, Hill was up and down a little bit. So, you know, it's it's been wishy-washy as far as who's going to step up there. We still think David Long and Lavert Hill, the two top 100 uh, cornerbacks out of the 2016 class, I still think those are the two guys that are going to start. One interesting wrinkle uh, that just occurred was uh, Prattville, Alabama product, Keith Washington, who had, had a good corner or had a good spring game at cornerback, uh, was asked to switch to safety last week and then on Saturday told the coaching staff that he decided he was going to transfer. So interesting loss. Uh, Washington, a guy I thought maybe would have seen some snaps back there in some capacity. Uh, I think it means that another uh, elite prospect out of high school, Ambry Thomas, true freshman, uh, I think the position switch means that he's been performing well as as well. Uh, Just be a matter of who they throw out there, who are the two guys. They like to try to stick to two guys uh, unless they go into nickel sets or, uh, you know, bring on more defensive backs on the field. So, uh, cornerback and then right tackle too. Uh, John Runyon Jr., the son of uh, former Michigan All-American of the same name, obviously, and uh, Juwan Bushel Beatty, uh, a guy out of Paramus Catholic, uh, you know, more of a high a high ceiling type guy. Those are the two guys who've been battling the most out there. Runyon more athletic, uh, but also more of a guard body. Uh, Bushel Beatty is the guy in the spring. You know, the guy that Michigan I think really wanted to win that job. He's a, he's a longer, little bit leaner guy. 
Um, like I said, a higher ceiling out there, but uh, I think he was banged up a little bit. Runyon kind of seized that spot after the spring, and right now I think he'd probably still be the guy uh, as of today, uh, but that one sounds like it's pretty close as well. So uh, that's my biggest concern. Florida's got a great defensive line. I expect Michigan's tight ends to be helping out a lot on the right side of the line, whether it's chipping the ends or just double teaming whoever they have out there. Uh, I expect to see a lot of that, so I, it'll be pretty interesting. So you got a cornerback b- battle, you got a right tackle battle. Do we have a quarterback battle, Steve, or is this just Jim Harbaugh, you know, sending out some smoke signals, giving Florida a couple guys to worry about? Do we legitimately think John O'Corn can beat out Wilton Spade, or even I assume Brandon Peters is kind of out of the mix at this point? But just kind of update us on on where we're at at quarterback right now at Michigan. I think it's Wilton's team. Uh, yeah. You know, he lost 23 pounds this off season, uh, which is a lot of weight. Uh, his dedication is, you know, second, I, I won't want to say second to none, but I, I, he's the type of guy that he got a taste of what he's capable of last year. You know, they lost three games. He was not healthy in any of those three games. And, uh, you know, again, five points combined three losses by five points, all of which were in the final minute uh, of the game. Uh, you know, I think he was so close to to being a guy that really, you know, could have led his team to the playoffs in his first season as a starter. Uh, you guys know what Jim Harbaugh is capable. You know, a guy is second. This is the first time Michigan's had a returning starter at quarterback, and I don't even know how long it's been. Uh, and it, I don't think there's any reason to think that Wilton can't take the next step uh, like most guys do in their second year under Harbaugh. You know, it, it's it's been funny. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been really critical of him because the way he played against Iowa, especially, I think, Florida State more so than Ohio State. And the way but he played in the spring I, game, right? Like, yeah, he that right. Like, not in the spring game either. Right, right. I, I, I think I just – that's – we can talk about – I think that's more of a – I think Michigan's defense isn't going to fall off as much as maybe some would think, given who they lost. Uh, I look at Wilton's return as a positive. Uh, you know, a lot of fans, yeah, I think in the spring game was really the driver of that, and especially when you saw – uh, how well Brandon played in the spring game too, uh, you know, sort of a, you know, that created quarterback controversy. Uh, I look at Wilton's return as a positive. Uh, he was among the league leaders in a lot of passing categories. Uh, again, didn't do it against the best teams on the schedule, uh, but he's a first year starter whose foot was halfway out the door uh, probably about six months, not six to eight months before uh, he was eventually named the starter. So I, look, I think it's Wilton's job. Yes, I do think Peters has fallen off a little bit. Uh, you know, his arm talent is still the best on the roster, and I think his time is obviously still coming. Uh, O'Corn's had a really good fall camp for everything we've heard, but I'd just be really surprised if it wasn't Wilton. Okay, so is uh, so it sounds like you don't think that Wilton Spate is a weakness at quarterback, but is it is it a strength? Like, is... We all know Florida's quarterback situation is is a little bit messy right now. Is that, Steve, in your opinion, like going into this game, does Michigan have a clear advantage under center? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think people kind of undersell, uh, you know, what Wilton did last season. I know he had a lot of weapons, uh, but again, you know, the one thing that I always go back to when I try to defend him on the board is how poorly they run the ball against good defenses. You know, he was playing injured and basically with one arm tied behind his back uh, because they had no ability to run the ball against good defensive fronts and was still almost able to pull out, you know, those all three of those games that they lost. Uh, I think he's got a lot of that, that moxie. 
I think he is a Harbaugh guy too. Uh, I think there's been a real uh, kindling of, of a good bond there between the two of them. And I guess here's the thing. I know, you know, a lot of fans outside of the Michigan, you know, it's all Harbaugh, 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 but I think his coaching ability just at the quarterback position period gives Michigan an advantage when Florida has no clue. It sounds like right now who they're going to start uh, next Saturday. So, uh, you know, just looking historically at what he's done with, with his quarterbacks that he's had for more than one year. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'd have to give Michigan the advantage. I mean, he did, he won nine games last year as a first yeah. year starter and was one of the top rated, I think his QBR, the ESPN QBR, I think he was second in the conference. Uh, you know, that that's, you you take away, you know, you I don't know. I, I, I think he's, I do, I think he's a plus. I really do. I don't necessarily think quarterback is one of their two or three biggest strengths on the roster, uh, but I do give them the advantage over Florida, absolutely. When it comes to running the ball, um, I there there seems to be some excitement uh, for Chris Evans' sophomore year. Um, there's is this a, a committee that you think will be able to generate a little bit more consistency on the ground, and obviously uh, the offensive line playing a part of that as well. How do you see the Wolverines being able to move the ball on the ground to be able to free up Wilton Spate a little bit more to make some plays? It's going to be interesting. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bill Simmons Ewing theory uh, about, you know, like yeah. almost like a sub- addition by subtraction. Uh, I thought like Kyle, the trio of Kalis, Kyle Kalis, Ben Braden, Eric Magnuson, I, I kind of feel like Michigan maxed those guys out and got whatever they could out of them, whether they were, were what they were by the time Harbaugh got into town or, you know, they got a little bit better under the last staff or the new staff. It's hard to say. I think there's a lot more upside with this line. I still look at Michael Onwenu, the right guard out of Detroit Cast Tech, as a guy. If he puts it together, I think the line could actually be pretty, pretty darn good. Uh, you know, Barton covered him, just a unique physical specimen. Uh, has one of the really, in my opinion, one of the higher ceilings, period, of any player on the team. Um, comes in at 350, but moves like he's 310, 315. Uh, the left side of the line, I think, is, is going to be pretty set. Uh, you know, Mason Cole, obviously, Ben Bredesen played a lot last year as a true freshman. Uh, Patrick Kugler, too, uh, former top 100 guy, fifth-year guy, I think kind of forgotten about by many people outside of the uh, outside of Ann Arbor, uh, has really stepped up. And, you know, we thought Cesar Ruiz would come in as a true freshman and, and maybe take that center job. Uh, Kugler has really said no, and uh, I think Kugler will start. Uh, which again, if you'd said this this time last year or even six months ago, I don't think many people would have thought that. So, uh, you know, I, it's I think there're going to be some. I think it's definitely going to be a spot. There's going to be some bumps in the road. Uh, like I said, right tackle being the big question mark. But if Anwenu is a guy that can take that leap as a sophomore, uh, I'm really interested to see what this line can do. And I always go back to, you know, I think one of the people kind of don't talk about it a lot. Uh, Grant Newsom, that loss is so – but he was playing so well for Michigan last year when he got hurt. I, this line would look completely different if he was healthy. Uh, you'd probably have Cole out at right tackle. Um, Newsom graded out – he got hurt against Wisconsin. Uh, the five games, he graded out number one on the line in three of those five games beforehand. Uh, you know, really just a huge, huge loss for them this year. Uh, hopefully he'll be back next year. You know, we saw the video of him – doing drills. Uh, he looks like he could actually make a return, which is great. So uh, Evans is going to be the guy running back. You know, Karan Higdon will get a lot of carries. I think the thing with Evans, he didn't really have a great grasp of the playbook last year. Uh, Michigan was just getting him the ball because he's so dynamic with the ball in his hands. So 
Uh, I mean, he'll be really interesting to see what he does now with a full grasp of the playbook. Uh, He's completely immersed himself in the game of football. He's run youth camps this summer on his own. He coached a flag football team. There was a funny story about him uh, being out at a flag football tournament. It's like a youth flag football tournament. He was out there at 6.30 a.m. scouting the team that they would play at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, This was like on a Saturday in the middle of the spring. Uh, You know, he's just a a guy who, like, eats and and sleeps the game of football. So really interested to see what they do with him. They'll get him the ball in a lot of different ways. I'm sure they'll get him back involved in the screen game like they did early last year, too. So, uh, yeah, it'll be more of a committee. Ty Isaac, too, another five, fifth-year guy, uh, former highly touted recruit, too. Uh, I think those three guys will be the primaries. I think Kareem Walker will fight for some carries as well. So, if I mean, from a national perspective, and if you're, like, a Florida fan – you may not know a lot about this Michigan team because uh, you know everyone knows how much they lost last year. All those guys that went to the NFL, uh, I think I know how talented they are. You obviously are familiar with 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 the talent that's the young talent upcoming. But w- when when they line up that first weekend against Florida, well, what's going to be sort of the the things that jump out at the pe- at those that are watching this team for the first time? Like what what are going to be a couple of the the takeaways uh, as far as the identity of this team, maybe the the bell cow players of this that, of this team, um, you know, that Florida or Florida fans are going to want to sort of keep an eye on. I'd probably actually I'd probably look at the linebackers. Uh, Devin Bush Jr., a guy is going to be the future captain of this defense. Uh, he had an amazing spring camp. He's carried it right into fall camp. I actually think you know they lost Ben Gideon. Uh, You know, Jabril, obviously, a huge, huge loss at the uh, Viper spot. But I think the linebacker core as a whole may be better uh, than it was last year. Uh, Aggressive as heck. Uh, Devin Bush Jr. is – he's so – I guess cerebral would be the best way to put it. Is an amazing blitzer. They're more athletic. I I would say that. And Don Brown's scheme thrives off of players who are, you know, basically athletes out there running around – you know, I like, I really, really like Devin Bush. I don't think Mike McCray gets enough talk nationally. Uh, he had a really, really good year last year. He's finally, you know, it took him a while to get over some shoulder issues earlier in his career, but he's fully healthy. Uh, I kind of look at the linebackers, and I also look at their young wide receiver core. I know you, Barton and I have talked a lot about who the true freshmen that are standing out there with Tariq Black and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, that's probably the one position the coaches always seem, they just seem to marvel at how quickly those two guys especially uh, have acclimated themselves to the college game. Uh, both will make big impacts immediately. Uh, whether, you know, who's one or two in that in that regard, it's hard to say. Uh, Tariq Black has been the name we've heard the most about, but, you know, you can look at the Big Ten Network sat in on a practice, and Howard Griffith's biggest takeaway the entire practice was how great Donovan Peoples-Jones could be. So, uh, you know, I think those two positions are, are positions that might surprise uh, fans that haven't followed Michigan or don't know a ton about Michigan. Uh, the defensive front's going to be what they are. Uh, you know, the two deep, we'll figure, we'll find out what the two deep looks like. Uh, but the front four, you know, Monet, Hurst, uh, Rashawn Gary, obviously, and then Chase Winovich, uh, all four of those guys can be high-impact players. But uh, linebacker, wide receiver, I think tight end, too. Uh, tight end's like a really interesting mix of, of, again, a lot like the rest of the roster. There's a lot of really high upside guys uh, that just don't have the experience right now. So, uh the guys catching passes for Wilton and, and whoever starts at quarterback, and then I think the linebackers will surprise some people. 
So we're, we went like 20 minutes into this conversation, and we've gotten like a passing mention of Rashawn Gary. Is he not about to be take college football <laughs> by storm? I, I think Rashawn Gary is like one of the best, like maybe a top five player in college football. Am I, am I a little bit – do I need to pump my brakes a little bit on Rashawn Gary? No. Um, you know, he's, he's – You're he's a, pumping a, my brakes a little <laughs> bit right now. <laughs> no, he's – no, I, no, I don't think so. It's funny. We, I've, what I've always said on our board, I, I think Michigan is going to miss Chris Wormley more than they miss Taco Charlton. Uh, I, think, I think Rashawn can replicate what Taco did. Uh, Taco had a decent year for the first half of last year uh, that really turned it on late. You know, was dominant against Ohio State. Was was really really good against Iowa. Uh, played well against Florida State. Also, I think Rashawn can replicate that. Uh, Wormley's the guy I'm interested to see how Michigan can kind of replace him. Uh, whether Hurst or you know Hurst is a great player. Monet's a guy on the inside that that Michigan's been waiting on to really explode. Uh, he was graded number three overall on the roster before he got a season-ending injury in 2015. Hasn't been the same since then, but it's had an awesome fall camp, it sounds like. So, um, no, I mean, I guess it's kind of funny is, is a guy who really, Rashawn hasn't had his opportunity yet. I guess he, we almost already kind of look at him as like a, a constant or a guy that, we, that they can count on to produce big this year. Uh, coaches obviously love him. His, his fellow players love him too. I know he really, really took seriously uh, learning under Wormley and, and Taco and Ryan Glasgow and uh, even Matt Godin last year, uh, soaking up whatever he could from those guys, uh, you know, who did all those guys developed so well under Greg Madison. Uh, you know, I don't think, I think it's one of those things where, you know, there's been a lot of hype, but yeah, I think to an extent, I don't think Michigan fans realize maybe what they're going to see. Uh, they've had some great defensive ends come through, uh, but he's obviously got a chance to be the best. I think the sack record at Michigan is 12 in a season. I think there's a, you know, there's definitely a chance, uh, you know, that, that he can an approach can approach. Yeah. I think there's a real chance he could get it. Yeah. I kind of feel like that too. I mean, especially, you know, some of the other, some of the teams that they're going to come across, you know, he'll have some monster games in there, I'm sure. So uh, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's almost viewed as sort of like a, uh, all right, well, we got Gary on one side, you know, what's, what else, what's going on in the rest of the defense. So Steve Lorenz has given us some fair critiques, not all the sunshine and rainbows that uh, that you might get from the from the official Michigan practice notes. But we've also gotten a lot of reasons to be excited about the Wolverines. Do you have a game score prediction for the Florida game that you can give us yet? I, I so I always kind of look at it. There's a few things I always look at. I always look at the quarterbacks. Uh, like we already talked about, I think Michigan's got an advantage there. Uh, I think coaching, I think Michigan's got an advantage in the coaching department. Special teams, Florida has, even with Callaway out, uh, I think Florida has a huge advantage with their kicking and punting game. That'll always be interesting. Uh, you know, people talk about Jabril Peppers being such a great player on defense. I still think maybe his biggest asset was returning punts, catching the ball. Uh, he would consistently save them 15 or 20 yards in field possession. Who, who's uh, going to replace? The, is there a guy that's going to be their return guy this year? Chris Evans, maybe? It's, it's been rotating. Uh, I would not shock me if Donovan Peoples-Jones eventually became the guy. Uh, I think they want to just throw their best athlete back there and see what they can do. Yeah. Uh, Khalid Hudson was even in the mix uh, for a while. Eddie McDoom, Nate Johnson, I know you're real familiar with Nate. Uh you know, those all those guys have been kind of in the mix as far as that goes. We've not gotten a clear indication of who the guy will be. You know, I think, but again, I I just Peoples Jones has a lot of potential back there. Uh, 
you know, Michigan would have never thrown Braylon Edwards back there to return punts back in the day, but I think it's changed a little bit. I think, uh, you know, that they would throw Donovan back there to get him, get him some, uh, get him on the field in any way, shape or form. That's what they like to try to do with their best athletes. You saw it with McDoom and Evans last year. They just try to get him the ball in some capacity and see what they can do. So, uh, you know, it's still a revolving door though. It sounds like, uh, but I still, you know, Florida has the advantage there. Like I said, even without Callaway, I think it comes. It's going to be the same thing it's been for Michigan in big games. What can their offensive line do? Uh, you know, it's it's hard to predict that they're going to play well. Uh, but at the same time, I think Michigan's defense has a, the potential to really feast on whoever Florida throws back there at quarterback. Uh, I, it's going to be a low-scoring game, in my opinion. I'd be really surprised if it was a high-scoring game. I, I would have thought Florida. I thought when Zaire, when that went official, I thought he would seize that starting job. And would you know? I thought maybe that would give Florida the slight edge. Doesn't look like that's happened. Uh, I'm kind of starting to lean. I think Michigan's going to win this game now. I'm, I'm thinking something like 21 to 13, 21 Ooh. to 14. Ooh, I like it. Hey, you listen. I I like these. I'm I'm coming out of this conversation uh, liking some of the bold predictions uh, that I was uh, I was going at. Feeling a little bit more blind, not as educated as I am now. Uh, thanks to your insights in in looking at Michigan's over under win total. Is is this a season where you think that Michigan might be undervalued in terms of the way their season's going to break out? Like what kind of record do you think would meet fan expectation or even your expectations for the 2017 season? Well, the two games I look at are this game and then I think at Penn State, uh Michigan hasn't won a road game against a like legitimate opponent in a really long time and it's really hard to predict them doing so. You look at the Michigan-Penn State game on paper, I don't see how you pick Michigan as, as far as things stand right now. I mean, they returned so many players from last year's Rose Bowl team. Michigan returns hardly anybody from last year's team. Uh, and again, then you got to play them in Happy Valley. I've been going back and forth between 10-2, and 9-3. and three. I think they're going to be better than a lot of people think they are. Uh, I just don't know if they're kind of ready to take that next step yet because of all that turnover. I've always looked at 18 as the year for them. I think next year, they because they'll pretty much bring back almost every single contributing player next season. Uh, you know, unless there's some guys that a few guys that could leave early. Uh, I, yeah, 10 and two, nine and three are kind of the, the numbers I've been looking at with, with Penn state uh, being a game, I think is going to be difficult for them to win. And, and to go to Madison the week before Ohio state comes to town is, you know, Wisconsin, another place where it doesn't matter how good Wisconsin is or bad. They are that they're always difficult to beat at home. So uh, and they'll and they'll be good this year. So, uh, you know, those are kind of the two records I've been bouncing back and forth. If they beat Florida, though, uh, who knows? I mean, they could be easily could be undefeated uh, heading into Happy Valley. So, uh, and then all bets are off uh, when you you know you got the season maybe on the line there. So, uh, we'll see. I like I said, nine and three, ten and two are kind of the two numbers I've been going back and forth with. Steve, we'll let you go in a minute here, but I, I wanted to, so if they lose to Florida. And let's say then they do lose to Penn State and they lose to Ohio State and say, you know, that's a tough game at Wisconsin. Say they go eight and four. How, how, like, how disappointed or frustrated or restless would the fan base be? Or, or do you think that this is that they could give this team that much leeway, uh, knowing it's a young team and, and everyone's back in, in 2018? Well, not all fans are going to ever give them any leeway, no matter yeah. what. I mean, they could go 11 and one and there are going to be some fans that aren't going to be happy. Uh, 
I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. There's no way Michigan's going to find a better head coach than who they have now. Uh, and the, the, they've recruited so well. Uh, they've built some elite, really young and, and deep. They're really young. They're really, really deep at a lot of positions in the future. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the program in itself is in a great spot right now. I just think it's a kind of a unique situation. This year's really probably one of the more unique years I can remember for Michigan football because – I think the potential's still there, but yeah, I mean, if they lose uh, next Saturday, yeah, I mean, there is the potential for four, even five losses. I mean, who knows? You know, Mer- playing Maryland at, at, on the road at night, you know, could be a trap game. I know they dominated Maryland the first two years, but uh, you know, we'll see there. Uh, you know, I, I don't. It's always there's always gonna be people restless. I guess if yeah. would the general consensus of the fan base be restless? I don't think so. Uh, I know an Ohio State win. Uh, would ease a lot of tension uh, just because it's been a really rough stretch for Michigan fans in that regard. Uh, you know, so if they did struggle a little bit, but but were able to win that game, salvage maybe an eight and four season with an Ohio State win, I think that would be uh, probably the same as a ten and two with a loss to Ohio State, in my opinion. I mean, the people down here, I think that's really outside of winning, maybe getting to the playoffs. Uh, I think beating Ohio State really is the, is the number one thing on the wish list of any Michigan fan right now. He is Steve Lorenz. You can follow him on Twitter at TremendousUM. He absolutely kills it for Michigan's 24-7 site. Steve, thank you so much. We will be sure to get you back on the show again. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. If you are trying to get a ticket to go see Michigan and Florida play on the opening weekend, well then, uh, you need to look no further than SeatGeek because buying tickets to sports and concerts, well, they can get complicated, but it's a there's a better, simpler, easier way to buy, and it's with SeatGeek. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. So if you want to go see Florida and Michigan play, use SeatGeek to get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever because it searches multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And you get the most bang for your buck. SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports like the Florida-Michigan game, to concerts, to comedy, and theater. So, right now, 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast listeners can get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SEC today. That's promo code SEC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And now we're taking it to the other locker room as Barton and I charge through the... uh, the, the tunnels, Barton, we've run all the way through. We're here in Jerry World. We're breaking into the other locker room. We're going to talk Florida. We got Thomas Goldcamp on. Gator Bates, Thomas Goldcamp. Um, man, this is a, a time where for if you were covering Florida, if you're a Florida fan, the uncertainty at quarterback has to dominate uh, all of the thoughts, not only for this Michigan game, but for the season as a whole. Uh, as we're recording this here on Wednesday morning, what's the latest from what you're able to tell in terms of how you think this, uh, this battle is going to end up shaking out as we, as we do sit, uh, you know, just about 10 days from the start of Florida season? Well, I think going into fall camp, a lot of us thought that, you know, Malik Zayer coming in from Notre Dame was going to be the favorite to start. Uh, I think a lot of people were very vocal about that. 
And I think at this point it's safe to say that he is unlikely to start. I think that Florida's coaches maybe have been a bit surprised that maybe he hasn't picked up a playbook a little bit quicker, that the communication in the passing game isn't quite there. Uh, but I would say at this point it's probably pretty close to a two-man race at this point between Luke Del Rio and Felipe Franks. Now, of those two who starts, that's still very much up in the air, I think. But, wait, uh, wait, I think wait, Malik wait, wait. Malik Zaire is running third? <laughs> yep, that is that. Uh, oh my god! I I mean that that's that that I, I'm not surprised, but but for all the hype about Malik Zaire coming to Florida and all the announcement videos and leaks, you know how many times did this guy announce he was going to Florida officially, and now he's running third? <laughs> that that's uh, okay. All right, sorry, I just had to I had to yell and vent and talk, but but. Okay, so we're down to Luke Del Rio and, and Felipe Franks. Uh, all right, uh, get back to it. What, what, who, who's, who do you feel like gives Florida the best chance to win between those two? Well, no, first off, I, I got to give you credit because, you know, you were one of the first ones to say, uh, you know, that you were coming in for Florida doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And, you know, I kind of laughed at that notion because, you know, we had, we had heard from Florida coaches essentially that they thought there were going to be, you know, two wins better with Zaire and, you know, so I, you know, I, I was one of those people that kind of assumed he would be the guy. And you said, look, he, you know, he had, he didn't show that much at Notre Dame. You know, why are they not riding with Felipe Frank? Uh, so, so first off, hat tip to you. I think, I think you kind of <laughs> nailed it there. Um, but you know, I, I think for Florida, it really boils down to at this point, um, do they value experience very highly going into this Michigan game? Um, I, I've said a couple times, I don't think whoever starts this this Michigan game is necessarily guaranteed to start going forward. Um, but I think it's a game where, you know, it's hugely important to Florida's season. you, you got to get the season kicked off on the right note. You can't go in and lose a game to a Michigan team that lost 17 starters. Um, and, and so I think the question becomes, do you go with the guy that you trust, knows the offense, um, maybe maybe might not make a whole lot of big plays, um, but can get you in the right spots, you know, get the alignment set up right. Um, and, and that guy is obviously Luke Del Rio. Whereas Felipe Franks, is a little bit more raw, takes longer to get it out, but is probably more capable of making the big play here and there. And whether or not Florida's coaches opt for that safe option, it probably ends up determining who starts in that game. So, Thomas, we just talked to Steve, and he felt like he wasn't like talking Wilton Spade as some Heisman Trophy candidate or anything like that. I think he was realistic about what Wilton Spade is, but he also felt like and that, that Michigan has an advantage with Wilton Spade at quarterback over what Florida is going to put on the field, having and for whatever you've seen of Wilton Spade and watched of Michigan and knowing, let's assume Luke Del Rio wins the job. It, comparing those two quarterback situations, do you think that's a push? Is that a clear Michigan advantage? Do you think Del Rio is better? Like, how, where where do you think the, the 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 scale is in terms of of the quarterback play? If, if Luke Del Rio and the same sort of Florida team trots out there with him? Well, you know, I do think it's an advantage for Michigan. Um, I don't know that it's maybe as big of an advantage as it maybe seems on paper. Um, I think that Luke Del Rio was hurt for essentially four of the six games that he played last year. And, and what kind of lingers for fans and, and the, the casual viewer is some of those later performances where he comes in against Georgia and, you know, on his first series he throws an interception first play against Arkansas as a pick six. Um, those are the kind of plays that I think fans associate with Luke Del Rio. But I'm not sure 
are necessarily indicative of his play. I think that, you know, he told us in fall camp he had a grade three AC joint sprain that he picked up basically a few plays into the Northern Colorado game in game three of the season. And he played through that for four games. Um, he, he looks a lot better throwing the ball right now than he did in those four games at the end of the season. And so, you know, I, he's still not going to be, you know, a, a game-breaking type quarterback. That's not who he is. Uh, he, he doesn't have the arm strength, even when healthy, to be that guy that's going to consistently push it down the field and fit it into tight windows 15 to 30 yards down the field. But I think he can be a lot better than he showed last year. And, and if he wins the job, I think that's what Florida's coaches are kind of going to be banking on. What do you think the loss uh, – how, when you're, uh, when you're looking at the Michigan game in particular – how does the loss of Antonio Callaway, uh, would you say, like if you were handicapping this, that is that is a you know a three-point difference? Is this like a negligible difference where you're you're looking at uh, a Sianta Lewis, a Tyree Cleveland, a Jordan Scarlett, like the other skill position players maybe have come along in a way where they can step up? Because uh, there's, there's Callaway, the potential game-breaker, but there's also the fact that across his – uh, 2016 season, at least in my perspective, there were just some times where even though you knew the talent was there, it, it almost felt like he was invisible out there on the field. How Do you think that Florida is going to be definitely hurt in the Michigan game by his absence? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you can't, you can't lose your best player on offense or at, or at the very least your most proven player on offense and have it not hurt. I mean, there's no way around that. Uh, I, I think Vegas has it about right. I think that they moved the line about two points uh, when, when that suspension was announced, and, and that sounds about right to me. I, I think the biggest issue for Florida now on offense is you don't have the one guy that you know the opposing team is going to have to game plan for because Callaway saw sh- you know extra safety shaded to his side in several games last year. He mentioned that he was frustrated by it because Florida didn't have anyone else that could step up and, and really force defenses to react to them. And so now you lose Callaway. Well, you know, Florida's got a lot of young potential, but that's all it is right now. It's just potential. You know, outside of Jordan Scarlett, they don't have a lot of guys that are very proven. And so you lose your one guy that that you know you can count on. Yeah, I mean, that hurts. So, Thomas, the way I've looked at Florida is, like, I I feel like the offense will be better – the defense maybe not quite as good, and maybe the two sort of balance each other out. But I'm curious, how improved do you think the offense can be? Like, we, we're starting to hear all this hype about the receivers and this deep room, even aside from Antonio Callaway. Uh, there, there seems to be a lot of confidence in the running backs. It's a deep room again. Also, uh, that offensive line seemed to be young and maybe has a chance to improve. Like, across the board, there, there seems to be optimism but offensively, are we going to look at a – is this going to be the same frustrating Florida that, that is, you know, struggles to score points? Or is this going to – do you think there's going to be some real expectations for big steps forward this fall? Well, I, you know, looking at the, the key positions that have kind of held Florida back, it's been offensive line and quarterback. And, and based on fall camp, especially a quarterback, I, I don't really see the answers right now uh, being all that clear. And so I think – to expect any huge improvement from Florida offense is probably premature. I think that the offensive line is, it's got to be better a little bit just because they return everybody, but the depth still isn't there. So any injuries that happen there are really going to hurt. Um, but, but they still haven't quite dominated like Jim McElwain has said he expects them to. And so until that happens, 
you know, you can talk all you want about the, the extra talent at the skill positions, but until that offensive line is really able to control games and keep a quarterback clean, um, it, it's hard to expect a team that is still breaking in a new quarterback to, to really take massive loops forward, in my opinion. So do we? Are, are we still a little bit – sounds like you're not super um, stoked about this offensive line just yet. Sounds like they still have a lot to prove. Is that – Yeah, that for me, I at? mean, I've got to see it. I've got to see it. Yeah. You know, I mean, Florida's talked about this offensive – offensive line improvement for the last several years and frankly it hasn't happened um so you know you're, you're talking about returning four guys basically on the offensive line four starters well that's great but they didn't play very well last year and at a certain point you know it's got a click for them and i'm not sure that we've seen that yet in fall camp where do you All think right. oh go, go ahead chip go ahead chip well yeah. I, was, I was gonna say man like thomas you're uh you know, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of caution in your voice right now. What excites you about this team? Like when you're looking out there uh, at the at the team on paper and at the team in camp, uh, you know, are you expecting that another SEC East title is potentially in the cards? Like what excite? Like where are the reasons for optimism for Florida fans? Or what are the things about the 2017 Gators team uh, that others around the country are going to notice and be impressed by? Well, here's the thing. I think Florida is a very young team, and there's no doubt that a lot of these young guys are very talented. Uh, you know, I think Barton mentioned the, the drop-off on defense potentially. Well, you know, the guys that they played last year that were very young were very promising in certain stretches. Now, can they handle that full-time? We're not sure, but there is a lot to be excited about in terms of the youth that Florida has. I think there's a lot of talent there. And so the way I look at it, you know, with young teams, if you're able to get off to a good start and really start to build some momentum, well, suddenly those guys feel a lot more confidence. They start playing at a much higher level. They're not questioning themselves. So, you know, I hate to put too much emphasis on one game, but I really think that this Michigan game can really set the tone for Florida's season in 2017. If you come out and you win that game, suddenly these young guys, you know, potentially Felipe Franks maybe starts, you get some confidence rolling on offense, suddenly the fan base is excited, everybody starts to feel that. And it really just becomes infectious and kind of has that snowball effect. On the flip side, if you don't, well, suddenly the, you know, Jim McElwain's seat starts to get warm and, you know, you're, you're dealing with all this pressure that just makes it very, very hard for a young team. So if you're looking for reasons to get excited at Florida, uh, I think you look at the young talent and you say, look, we've got all this potential. We just need that match to, to kind of light things on fire and get things rolling. So on the defensive side of the ball, who is? Because I know there are – just they're studs. I mean, there are guys that are going to have breakout years on defense. They're talented in the secondary. They always have great defensive linemen. So who's going to be the guy this year that maybe not 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 the college football fan in California doesn't know about, but he will by the end of the season after just turning on SEC on CBS on on Saturday afternoon. Like who's going to be the defensive freak for Florida this year that that, that emerges? I, you know, I think Chauncey Gardner kind of showed it in the bowl game, so maybe that's a cop-out answer. Um, no, he uh. is a defensive back that, I mean, you guys have seen him play. He is extremely fast. Uh, I think he might be the best athlete on the team. And, and he's a guy that just, he can play. I mean, you look at him, he knows where to be. He's got that natural instinct when the ball's in the air. I, I think he's a guy that, you know, people talk about Florida secondary and how many NFL draft picks they've produced over the years, especially recently. He's a guy that's going to be right in that mix, in my opinion, in a couple of years. I would expect him to have a huge year in 2017. And and uh, in that secondary, I've talked to you about it a lot, Thomas. I'm curious, what this, what's the status report right now just on that fourth defensive back? I guess they've been trying to sort of work through that that defensive backfield. Is it 
is it looking like Chauncey's going to play safety? Is he going to play corner? Are they going to move Jaywan Taylor in there at safety? What's what? What do you think it's looking like right now? Well, I think you know Chauncey Gardner has started at safety throughout camp, so I think he's going to end up there alongside Nick Washington. Uh, he's kind of a veteran, get the communication back there going. Um, right now, it looks like Duke Dawson and Joseph Putu. Um, you know, Putu being a guy who was a, a JUCO transfer and didn't really play a whole lot last year, but those two are going to be the guys at corner. The, the guy that's really emerged in fall camp, I think, is Marco Wilson, Quincy Wilson's little brother. He he's been starting at nickelback throughout camp, has been very good, and I actually think. You know, if Putu struggles on the outside, I think Marco Wilson's the guy that they look at outside as maybe starting at that other cornerback spot. But I think Florida feels a lot better now with what it has in the secondary than it did going into camp. You kind of had that feeling knowing that they brought in six freshman DBs that they'd probably end up finding one or two they can count on. And I think they're definitely at that point right now. When you're starting to play it out, when you're starting to look at the schedule, when you're starting to think about the expectations, and, and you just mentioned that the, a lot of it in your mind sort of hinges on how this Michigan game goes, um, you know what? What do you think is the the realistic record expectation for uh, in your mind? And then, do you think that matches up <clears throat> with the fans? Well, I think you know fans don't want to see a step back, uh, so you know I think most fans are probably expecting another nine win type season. Uh, you look at Florida's schedule. You know it's a weird it's a weird mix this year because Florida has a very tough schedule, but most of the games that are on the road are not your tougher games, and so they they've got a good mix. Seven home games, most of the tough games come at home, uh, but at the same time, there's not a whole lot of games on this schedule that you can circle and say, okay, that's an automatic win. Uh, I, I think a lot of it boils down to momentum, um, but you know I I think this Florida team is capable of winning ten if things come together right. Now, on the flip side, you know, you lose the Michigan game, uh, suddenly this is a team that could potentially only win seven. Uh, so, it, you know, more so than most years, I see this as a very open-ended thing for Florida. I, I, don't, I don't really know where I'd pick them right now. I, I think there's just too many questions about this team, and until we see them on the field in the game, it, it's really hard to know what to expect from this group. What are your expectations for Michigan um, in turn? Like, is – are you – Give us your prediction. Like, do you think that this is going to be? Uh, I know you think that this is a, you're going to learn a lot about this team in this game, but uh, we're putting the gun to your head right now. Game like, score. What, give, give us a score. Well, okay. So first off, I think that the defensive lines are going to determine who wins this game. I think both both teams have question marks on the offensive line, and the strengths of probably both defenses is the defensive line. You look at what Michigan's got, Rashawn Gary, you know, we were talking to some Florida players yesterday, and you can tell that they know what's ahead of them. You know, between Rashawn Gary and the two tackles that are big, powerful guys, Florida's offensive line knows, you know, it's it's not it's not coming in light this year. I mean, they're, they're starting off with some real guys up front. And if they can't handle them, it's hard to see the Florida offense really putting together much. Uh, now, on the flip side, I, I think Michigan's somewhat the same way. You know, they've got some young guys at receiver, but, if that offensive line can't hold up, then you know suddenly it's a low-scoring kind of ugly game, and Florida's plenty comfortable winning those. But right now, I think you know Florida just has too many question marks for me. You know, I, I'm very hesitant to pick them in this game. I think Michigan, you know, Jim Harbaugh's a, a very good coach, has his guys ready, has recruited very well. I, I'd be I'd be hard pressed to pick Florida going into this one. Fair and balanced. <laughs> That's Thomas Goldkamp. <laughs> I like it. That's hey, I'm I am. Uh, I'm with you. I mean, I've, I've, I've actually felt like that for a while, um, that, that 
and and the more as we, the more we gotten close with this quarterback situation not getting ironed out and with Callaway being out, I don't know, man. It's it's hard for me to pick. It's hard. For, it's hard to see Florida right now. But um, hey, it'll be. It'll be a lot of young guys on both sides of the ball getting after it. That, that's we'll, we'll, we will find out a lot. Yeah, I mean that's that's what it's all about. I mean you know, these opening games. That's uh, you know Jim McElwain. I know is a big opponent of him. He loves to get those you know those games in, like he did at Alabama, where you kind of find out about your team. And look, right or wrong, one way or another, you're going to find out real quickly where you need to make some strides. You can follow Thomas on Twitter at Thomas Goldcamp. That is G-O-L-D-K-A-M-P. Thomas, thank you so much for all your hard work. You are bringing us the Florida insights that we need. Uh, We appreciate it. We'll keep following, and we'll get you back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast later in the season. Thanks. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. Our thanks to Steve Lorenz, Thomas Goldcamp, um we're going to continue to dig into this we're going to go florida state and alabama as our next big game breakdown um barton this is uh this is exciting we are getting so close we're gonna have to we're gonna be making our against the spread picks before you know it are you you, do you feel like you are ready to be a sharp and not a joe Uh, i'm already i've already scouted out my picks and i'm so hard anti-public week one it makes me feel great about my picks so I'm, I'm in i'm in good shape you can follow him on twitter at barton simmons you can follow me at chip underscore patterson make sure that you subscribe to the 24 7 sports college football podcast because subscribers get them first barton thank you very much see you